You're listening to From the Front Lines, a special podcast from WUFT during the COVID-19 pandemic. This podcast provides daily updates on Florida's response to coronavirus with a particular focus on North Central Florida. In addition to news and important information, From the Front Lines will feature a member of the community who is working to keep the community safe or running during these challenging times. Hello, I'm your host Ryan Vasquez and this is From the Front Lines. Here are the most recent COVID-19 numbers from around the state. There are now 215 positive cases of COVID-19 in Alachua County according to the latest numbers from the State Department of Health. No deaths have been reported and at least 24 people have been hospitalized at some point as a result of the virus. Positive case numbers in the North Central Florida region include 163 in Clay County, 93 in Marion County, and 71 in Citrus County. Statewide, there are 19,895 positive cases of the coronavirus and a reported 461 deaths. The Ocala National Forest has expanded its list of temporarily shut down recreation areas due to COVID-19. The recreation areas include developed day-use and primitive recreation areas, trails including trailheads and off-highway vehicle corrals, boat ramp areas and U.S. Forest Service water access sites, and Silver Glen Recreation Area and Silver Glen Run. Hunting and fishing opportunities remain available to the public. While the number of coronavirus cases in rural counties such as Bradford and Union are not very high, leaders in those areas are still taking precautions as seriously as anywhere else in the state to get it under control. Leaders like Stark City Manager John Holman are prioritizing as much togetherness as possible in this time of social distancing. Check up on the seniors. If you have a senior that lives next door, there's no reason not to knock on the door and step back or give them a phone call and make sure they're okay or somebody with a serious health condition. We try to keep bringing that out so that people can keep checking up on them to make sure they're okay. The Bradford County Health Clinic is also providing tests for the virus. The health clinic serves both Bradford and Union Counties. More than 32,000 laptops are going to small and rural districts to aid in distance learning during the COVID-19 pandemic. Over the weekend, Governor Ron DeSantis and Education Commissioner Richard Corcoran announced that computers will be distributed to 34 mostly small rural school districts throughout Florida and the Florida A&M University Developmental Research School. The U.S. Department of Agriculture announced approval of Florida's request to provide online grocery purchases through the SNAP program. Nearly 3 million Floridians participate in SNAP, which is administered in the state by the Florida Department of Children and Families. Through this pilot program, SNAP households can purchase food online and pay using their EBT card at pickup, among other options, to help reduce shopping risk from COVID-19. The Florida Department of Children and Families will ultimately determine the structure of the SNAP online program in the state through flexibility authorized by the USDA Food and Nutrition Service. And looking for silver linings, Governor DeSantis wants to use the pause period created by coronavirus to pave the way for infrastructure improvements. Over the weekend, DeSantis announced plans to accelerate work on the Florida I-4 Ultimate Project. We should take advantage of this pause. There's a lot of things that people aren't able to go to, to work. A lot of people, kids aren't going to school. Um, and so there's, there's a lot of negatives involved. The fact that we don't have as many people on the roads, let's take advantage of that and try to make some progress. The $2.3 billion project involves reconstructing 21 miles of interstate in Orange and Seminole counties. DeSantis says other infrastructure projects throughout the state will also be fast-tracked while fewer drivers are on the roads. As hospitals fill up as a result of COVID-19, there is concern that there may not be enough ventilators to keep patients too sick to breathe on their own alive. Dr. Samsoon Lampetang is a professor of anesthesiology at the University of Florida and the director of the Center for Safety, Simulation, and Advanced Learning Technology. 
Dr. Lampetang, along with his colleagues, has developed an open-source design for a ventilator built using common hardware store parts. He discusses the project with WUFT's Melissa Fato. Can you tell me the story briefly of where this idea came from? How did you develop it? This story begins like three, three or more decades ago as a graduate student in mechanical engineering at the University of Florida. Together with two respiratory therapists, Michael Banner and Paul Blanche, I actually built, we actually built a transport ventilator that was commercialized and used on patients by a Swiss company. It was called the Hamilton Max. So when this uh, shortage of ventilators due to the pandemic was being discussed, to me, it was not an issue of whether we could build one because I've already done that before. It was the question of whether we could build one outside of the normal supply chain for building ventilators. Why do I say that? Because being in the ventilator industry from having built a ventilator a long time ago, four weeks ago before anybody else really knew about it except people in the ventilator industry, I received information that all the parts traditionally used to build ventilators have become unavailable. So the, then even if you want to build one, you don't have the, the ingredients, the parts to build it. So that's why then we decided we would use a supply chain outside the ventilator industry. And in this case, it was Home Depot, Lowe's, and all the other non-medical supply chains, including automotive. So how do these open source ventilators compare to a ventilator that you would find in a hospital? Do they work the same? Do they work as well? No, by no means. This is, we are not trying to replicate what is called a full featured ventilator. And I believe that is why GM is going to take, they say five weeks to six weeks to begin production because they're doing the, for lack of a better word for the lay people, I'm calling it the Cadillac of ventilators. Mm -hmm. So it's full featured, everything. We're doing what is called a bare bones, but safe ventilator. So we are providing an alternative to nothing. So you said that these are built using parts from a Home Depot or a Lowe's. What are those parts and how much does the final product cost to produce? The parts, uh, the, one of the main parts from Home Depot is a, is, is a sprinkler valve. It's not a sprinkler head for the people who are listening. The sprinkler head is what pops out of the ground and sprays water. The sprinkler valve is what sends water to open the sprinkler head and it's buried underground. That's what we're using. Uh, the other part we're using from Home Depot is, is PVC pipe and couplers and, and, uh, and reducers and adapters. The whole assembly will be single patient use because the parts from Home Depot that we throw away are $98. At $98, that's the price of a high, high end meal, mm -hmm. right? So rather than to worry about how do we disinfect it at $98, compared to 50 or 20, $50,000 for a full-fledged ventilator, you're better off just throwing it away rather than try to clean it and use on a second patient. So I guess we're hoping that the ventilator shortage won't come to it and hospitals won't need to resort to this. Who do you anticipate is going to be using this project? It's open source. Open source means it's out there for everybody who wants to use it and understands the risks in using it. We're trying to mitigate those risks by doing 
as much testing as we can. But unfortunately, the virus may not give us the opportunity to finish testing, so it may overtake us. So then it's up to each person worldwide. Our, our audience is worldwide. The website we have is now available in six languages. Mm -hmm. So they can look at it, they can look at our test data, our design, and they can decide whether they want to do it. So, so that's for the people who will build it. For the people who will use it, we're trying to get uh, FDA emergency use authorization approval for the United States. And for that, we are specifying that this ventilator is for use only on COVID patients during the COVID crisis. Once the COVID crisis is over, this ventilator should not be used anymore. So you said that you're still in testing for this. What does that testing entail? It's called endurance testing. So we know the design works. We've known that since last Friday, 11 days ago, or I've lost track. So for, so for 11 days, a unit has been running continuously. We've identified the parts that need to be replaced more often. Uh, but what we want to do ideally is because a patient, worst case, will be on a ventilator for three weeks. We would like ideally to run the ventilator as it will be used for three weeks. From the Front Lines is a production of the Innovation News Center at the College of Journalism and Communications at the University of Florida. Thank you to our producers, Taylor Levesque, Daniela Mora, Anthony Montalto, Josh Williams, Melissa Fato, and Cameron Lund. Also, thanks to our fellow Florida public media stations for their contributions to this podcast. And a special thank you to Matt Abramson and Craig Lee for their work behind the scenes. We'd love to hear from you, so if you have a story to share with From the Front Lines, please send an email to news at wuft.org. That's news at wuft.org. Join us tomorrow for another edition of From the Front Lines. I'm your host, Ryan Vasquez, and of course, thanks for listening.